James was the leader of the Jerusalem church, the first church leader in the early church in um, Israel. And he was the little brother of Jesus, so he didn't believe when Jesus was around. But he writes his book generally to the Christians at the time who were just figuring out this whole faith thing and what it means. And he says that you can be better at doing life. That even though there will be challenges, even though there will be rainy days, even though there will be pressures that you find yourself under, difficult situations that you are in, you have the ability to be better at life. And so the idea is that to succeed in life, you need to have skill. And James is a book all about skill. Skill is our word for James's word of wisdom. It means practical life skills, the ability to do life well, to understand how to navigate through life. So last week we talked about listen, listen, wait, speak. So when you're communicating, when you're in difficult conversations, when there's conflict, when you're having a breakdown in relationship, the best way to communicate, the best way to speak and get through these difficult times is to listen and then listen again and then wait and then speak. And you can save yourself so much hassle and aggravation by being skilled, being wise, being smart, having wisdom in learning how to do life. But actually, the way that James talks about it is that it's not just self-help. It's not just here's five great big life hacks that will make you better at relationships and make you better in the workplace. It's actually you need strength on top of that. You don't need just skill because none of us have the skill on our own. When it comes to the tongue that we talked about last week, James says no human being can tame the tongue. The tongue is a restless evil. The tongue will get you into all kinds of trouble. We need to develop strength of character. We need resilience. We need endurance under pressure. It's when you're in difficulty, it's when you're reacting, that's when you know what kind of maturity you have as an individual. And and to be able to build up that sense of strength is absolutely vital for followers of Jesus. But James's thing, again, is where does this strength come from? Where do we get this strength of character? It's actually all about faith. So he says that it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. Perseverance, that strength, that ability to remain under hardship, to remain under challenge, to remain under difficult, distressing circumstances. It's the testing of your faith. Everyone say faith. So it's faith that produces the strength that you need in order to live out the skills that you've gained through books like James that enable you to be better at life. Faith is the thing that gives you strength. So again, this is not about self-help. This is not just the kind of thing that, well, you know, it doesn't matter whether you believe or don't believe. Just follow these simple, easy rules and your life will be easy. Now, James is saying, this stuff is really, really difficult and it requires faith in God. It's our relationship with God that's going to develop in us the resilience and the strength that we need in order to put the skills into practice. So with this third episode, we want to talk a little bit about the whole nature of faith because it's really important that you understand what faith is all about. There's a lot of people that when we talk about faith, you think one thing, but the Bible is actually talking about something else. When we talk about faith, we have this kind of strange religious idea. I don't know what would happen if I came and I asked you individually, what do you think faith is? 
If you're here tonight, you're not necessarily a Jesus follower. You might have a number of different ideas about faith. You may not say that you've got that much faith, but you have a kind of idea about what faith is. And for many people, faith is personal. You know, it's a kind of thing which is restricted to the individual. In our culture today in England, in our society, it's almost a kind of no-no to talk about faith because faith is supposed to be personal. It's a private Thing. If you ask someone, do you have faith? Are you a person of faith? What's your faith in? People will shut you down saying, well, that's a personal thing. Faith is private. Faith is personal. Faith is individual. People will even say that my faith is a personal thing that I have just for me. It doesn't necessarily impact on my work or impact on my relationships or impact on my bank balance because it's, it's a personal thing. It's a private thing. It's an internal thing. And people will say that faith is invisible. So it's this kind of invisible, mystical quality. Do you have faith? Faith, you can't see it. It's invisible. And people almost kind of mythologize faith. They make it as if it's this kind of weird, mystical, strange, invisible quality. And really spiritual people have lots of faith. And so people will say, you know, I'd really love to believe, but I just don't have your faith. As if faith is this magical, mystical quality. And you can have different levels of it. So if you've got faith, I don't know, like like Matt Price, who was leading the worship just a minute ago. If you've got Matt Price level faith, that's kind of like fairly base level, fairly standard (laughs) faith you know you can just about have faith for for, if you've got that level of faith then God will give you free parking spaces you know you've got Matt Price faith parking space Uh, if you upgrade and you go to Sam Cooke faith then you can pray and see God do you know healing but but just minor stuff like bad knees and colds Uh, and if you've got Kate Gennardu faith well you know world peace raising the dead and you kind of think that faith is this thing that's this mystical invisible ingredient you can have a little you can have much special people it's weird we don't know how it works it's kind of other ethereal out there but most of people they will always say faith is about belief faith is about belief and that's why non-believers will say to Christians I wish I had your faith I wish I could believe this stuff I just don't as if faith is believing stuff that your rational brain says is ridiculous as if faith is somehow the ability to believe in things that really don't make sense they aren't really real they're just some kind of you know some people they've got a belief in this I do believe in fairies I do I do I do believe in fairies Faith is this kind of belief. It's all about belief. You either believe it or you don't. If you believe it, you've got faith. If you don't believe it, you don't have faith. I could never believe because I don't have faith. And so we think of faith as personal, as individual, and as a belief. A personal, individual, invisible belief. And James, in the culture that he's speaking to, even though it's 2,000 years ago, Very same thing. People saying the very same thing. People saying, well, faith, it's personal, invisible belief. And people went further. They said, you know, some people have faith and some people don't. Some people do their religion very much with faith and other people do their religion very much hands-on, practical, doing stuff, having actions. And they kind of made this 
distinction between faith, which is invisible and weird and out there and, you know, wow, you've got a parking space, you've got faith. And deeds, actions, actually making a difference. You don't need to have faith to make a difference. You don't need to have faith to go and help the homeless. You don't need to have faith to be concerned with the state of the world. Some people are do as an action. Some people, they have this belief and it's invisible and it's personal and it's great for them. But I just don't have your faith. And James says, you really just don't get it. You don't understand fundamentally what faith is. And if you don't understand what faith is. You won't be able to grow in faith. You won't be able to have that strength of character, resilience of uh, your character that enables you to do life well and have the skills, be able to carry out the skills because faith produces the strength. Now, I've got to give you a little bit of a health warning on this because James, he is really, really blunt. He uh, was an unbeliever in the time of Jesus. He was, um, along with the rest of Jesus' family, they thought he was mad. They thought he was unhinged. They were frightened for his welfare. He was saying things and they just thought, you're going to get yourself killed. You're a good guy. But honestly, the things you're saying, they're just, they're crazy. And yet Jesus appears to James having risen from the dead. And James is like, fair point, fine, I believe. And it's almost like he overcompensates when he gets into it. So he writes this letter. It's the first letter anyone wrote to the church uh, around about 10 years after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And when he says things, he says things really, really straight. So he doesn't just call a spade a spade, but he tells you what you should be doing with a spade, how you're doing the spade wrong, and where you should use that spade and how to get better at the spade. So it's very, very bold. So I'm going to say some things, and they're going to sound a little bit harsh. you just got to take it and just understand that this is how James speaks. It's very direct, very to the point, but it's quite hard Hitting. So I'm going to pray that God helps that this isn't something that condemns and flattens us, but something that helps us. So James, he starts to talk about faith. And he says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Absolutely not. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily Food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. Everyone say dead. 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 D-E-D. Dead. And so this first idea that faith is something which is personal, he takes this and he absolutely comes against it. That faith isn't just a personal thing, it's about deeds. Faith cannot just stay with you. James says, if you say that you've got faith, but someone around you is in need, if you say to them, oh, well, I'm just praying for you, you yeah, we just... May you really be warm and may you be kind and may you be blessed and may God take care of you. You can sound pious, but that doesn't help anybody. That is useless to them. You've done nothing for them. You've given nothing to them. That is not real faith. That kind of faith is dead. If faith is real, it can't just stay personal. If faith is real, it can't stop with you. If faith is real, it can't just be bounded up in a little 
person-shaped bubble and never affect anybody outside of it. Faith, if it's real, has always got to touch other people's lives. Faith has got to affect our relationship with the poor, with the marginalized, with the homeless, with those on the edge, with the refugee, with the trafficked. If we say that we've got faith, James says, unless that faith goes beyond just your personal private concern and touches other people's lives, then you're kidding yourself and your faith is useless. Your faith is dead. It does not make sense. So you cannot and you dare not and you must not say that faith is personal. Faith is never personal. It starts with you and you own it, but it is always going to be something that touches other people because it's wrapped up with deeds. You can't do deeds for yourself. Deeds are always going to touch somebody else. And so... Straight off the bat, James takes this idea that faith is something which is personal, and he absolutely trashes it. And so maybe you think, well, maybe it's invisible belief. It's not personal, but it's some kind of invisible belief. Well, James goes on. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. You have faith, I have deeds. Like I was saying before, some people will say, you know, you're a spiritual one, I'm a practical one. You're a kind of thinker and believer and in your head, it's in the clouds, I've got my hands dirty in the dirt, I am doing stuff. And then he says, some people will say this, he says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, some people will say, you know, I've got faith, but I don't have deeds. And someone will say, I've got deeds, but I have no faith. And James says, and it's a kind of, it's a bit of a difficult passage. And the words that he's using are a little bit kind of slightly jumbled up. But essentially he's saying this, show me your faith without deeds. You can't do it. If your faith is invisible, it's not real faith at all. He says, I will show you my faith by my deeds. Faith is not Invisible. So back to our definition of faith. Faith is not invisible. You see it through deeds. Deeds are the things that express that your faith is real. James is saying don't ever, ever talk about practical and belief. The two go together. The deeds are the things that show that your faith is real. And I can show you my faith. Faith should be visible. You should never have anyone say, well, you know, your faith is an invisible, private, hidden, mysterious thing. They should be able to say, wow, that's your faith. Wow, the way that you do your work, that's clearly, you clearly have faith. The way you do your finances, oh my goodness, I can see that you have faith. And have you ever had that with people around you, someone at work, a flatmate, someone in your family, a friend? They've seen something about you, what is motivated by your faith in Jesus, and said, gosh, I may not agree with you, but I absolutely can tell that you have faith. I can tell. I can see it. It's real. Faith is always going to be visible if it is real faith at all. And then finally, the thing about the belief. James says this. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good, whoopee-doo, good for you. I'm so proud of you, go. You believe there's one God, well, good for you. Even, I told you he's very straight talking, even the demons believe that and shudder. You know, demons have like, they have church meetings in hell, did you know that? And they believe all the right things. And one demon will say to the other, there is only one God. And all the other demons will go, oh, 
shut it, like a kind of gospel meeting. Yeah, 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 yes. They get into it. They have an emotional reaction. They all believe it. Someone will say, Jesus is God, and he's coming back again, and he's going to rule the earth. And everyone says, I believe it. I know it. Yes. That's what demon church meetings look like. And James is saying, well, great. You believe that God is one. Good for you. Your faith is exactly on the same level as a demon. You have demon-style faith. I, um, I get to speak, and sometimes I go to situations, could be churches or, or different Christian groups, and from time to time, they do the thing that I really, really don't like. It really, it really, I don't like it. And uh, they get you to sign, or they try to, I've, I've stopped doing it, I've, I rebel, uh, but they get you to sign a doctrinal basis. And the doctrinal basis will be all the things that you believe. And it's almost like they say, we want to know that you believe the right things before you're allowed to speak. And I always think to myself, do you know who would be the best speaker in this church? Satan. Because Satan could tick that box, no problem. He could sign that declaration, no problem. Do you believe that God is one? Tick. Do you believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Tick. Do you believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world? Tick. He believes it all. Before any human being said that Jesus was Lord, it was the demons crying out in the Gospels that said, Jesus, you're the Holy One. You're the one that's come to bring your kingdom. Don't torment us before our time. Way before Peter and the other disciples got it. The demons, no, you've got demon-style faith, demon-level faith, if all you do is just believe. And James is saying it's not wrong to believe. But he's saying, you know, great, good for you. Belief on its own is absolutely worth diddly squat. It is not going to change your life unless it is mixed with real faith and real trust and takes risks in God and puts everything out on the line and works itself out with deeds, with actions. You can't just believe a bunch of stuff. I want to go to one of these places and have the thing I would love to fill out, the survey I would love to fill out, is one that says, how's your search history on the internet? How are you treating your wife? Uh, what are you doing? What is God speaking to you? I want something that will drill down, find out how are you helping the poor? How are you demonstrating the life of Jesus to those around you? That's the kind of thing that we should be asking. And yet somehow we have squeezed down Christianity and faith into I must believe the right things. If I can have a little shudder at the end of it and feel good, then that is all I want from faith. And Jesus says, well, great, but that does not do anything. That kind of faith is absolutely useless. So back to our faith picture. He says, faith, it's not personal, it's not invisible, and it's not just about belief. It is about deeds, it is about deeds, it is about deeds. Faith is about deeds. Faith is about deeds. Faith is about deeds. Not personal action. Not invisible action. Not just belief, but action. And that is his kind of introduction. And then he takes it one step further. He gives some examples. He says, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James, please, try and be a little bit more diplomatic. Less than ideal, perhaps. No, it's useless. He says this. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? Everyone say, what he did. 
when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. Everyone say working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. There's a little bit of a wordplay that uh, James uses here. He says, essentially, literally, he says, his faith was working with his works. And that word working with, synergo, is where we get synergy. Faith and works in synergy. Now, if you don't know this story, this is the time when the Bible tells us that Abraham, who the Bible calls the father of faith, the patriarch, the great person who started the Israelite nation. He was known for his incredible faith in God. And at one point, God asked him to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah, his son Isaac, that he had to go under the knife. Now, sometimes when people don't know about the Bible, they don't know about God, they don't know uh, what's going on, they just think, oh, that's an awful thing. How can you serve such a God? You know, how can he, he's such a sadistic, mean-spirited controlling, I mean, that's just, it's child abuse, it's wrong, 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 wrong. But actually, it wasn't like that. God said to Abraham, he says, even though you've tried for year after year after year to have a kid, I'm going to give you not just a child, but a whole nation is going to come out of you. You're going to be significant on the world stage. There are going to be thousands upon millions of your descendants. They're going to be like the sand on the seashore. And it's going to come through this child. His name is Isaac. And through Isaac, you're going to become the father of a great nation. And Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. But God wants to put that faith to the test. And so he gives Abraham a test. Do you really trust me? Do you really believe in me? Are you willing to give up everything? Do you believe that I can do the impossible? And Hebrews gives us the kind of the back story, the the behind the scenes story. Hebrews tells us that Abraham was utterly, totally convinced that God could raise, even if he plunges the knife into his son, God could raise him back from the dead, that no harm would come to a single hair on his head. Abraham never for a moment thought that that would be the death of Isaac permanently, but he knew that God was trustworthy and that if he could show willing and say, I hold nothing back, I absolutely trust you, you're the supernatural God, you can take me through every situation, you've been with me in the past, you can do it again, then I believe, I believe you can do it again. And in that situation, God intervenes and says, no, it's okay. I've got a sacrifice for you, but I just want you to know the extent of my love. I just gave you an object lesson because I will sacrifice my beloved son to bring peace and reconciliation to all humanity. And then James says, this act of faith resulted in a deed. The deed was trusting God, even taking Isaac to the very edge of the altar until God says, no, that's enough, you passed the test. But then James says, his faith then works with his deeds to do what? To make complete his faith. That word complete, we've seen it before, it's that perfect maturing. You have some faith, but God wants to give you more faith. How many of you here, just tell me now, how many of you want more faith? How many of you would like greater faith in God? Faith that does great things, not just parking spot faith, but transformation faith that changes the situation, changes things in your life, changes things in other people's life. The only way that you're going to get that is if your faith, your trust 
in God grows. And as you do deeds and see God come through for you, it makes your faith get stronger. So you do more deeds and you get this positive feedback loop. Faith to deeds, to faith to deeds, to faith to deeds, to faith to deeds. Stronger, stronger until your faith becomes whole, mature, perfect, everything that it should be. My eldest daughter, Zoe, when she was four years old, I said, Zoe, I'm going to teach you a special trick. What are we going to do, Dad? You are going to stand on the steps. You're going to go right high, and then you're going to trust your daddy. What do I have to do? Well, you've got to go up some steps, and you jump off. Just jump as far as you can. Jump out. This is what dads do. If any of you uh, are looking forward to having kids and being dads, this is what you get to do. <laughs> you get to play with your kids. It's hilarious. And uh, they're, so, they, they're just itty and great. And so she, uh, she says, okay. I said, now, do you trust your daddy? And she says, yes. So I said, go up some stairs and jump. She goes up like five steps. I make her go. I tell her, this is the step I want you to go from. I'm going to catch you. Okay, I'm going to catch you. Ready? And she's looking down. She's five steps up. She's four years old. She says, Daddy, I don't think I can do this. Uh, I said, well, maybe come down a little. She comes down just to the second step. She is two. I mean, it's basically, uh, I'm there. You know, she could just lean into me and, and my hands are right there. It, it's not evil can evil, you know. It's not just the greatest thing ever. But I said, okay, right, this is fine. We'll start here. We will start here. Okay, do you trust me? Yes. Okay, ready. Now, what I want you to say, sorry, so I want you to say, trust, and then jump, okay? So we go, one, two, three. She go, trust. She jumps. Oh, yeah, you're so great. And I, but as she jumped and I caught her, she giggled and laughed like a drain. She thought this was the greatest thing ever. And so she says what every kid says when they do something and you do something with them that they love. Again, again, again. Uh, but this time, without me asking her, she went straight five steps up. Why? Because she's exercised faith, that's trust, in me. She's taken a risk and she's found that I came through, that I was trustworthy. And her faith adds to her deeds and increases her faith. So now she's not got two-step faith, she's got five-step faith. So we go, one, two, three. She goes, trust. She jumps. I catch her. Yay, you did it. And uh, before the end of the morning, she had gone all the way up to the very top of the stairs. And now even I'm a little bit, <laughs> do you trust me? Yes. Are you sure? <laughs> Wait till your mother comes home. And um, she does the whole thing. One, two, three. Trust. And she leaps. I mean, this is a significant distance. We're talking A and E potential here. But she launches herself off with all of her might. I catch her. And we laugh and hug. And we are now bonded. And her faith and her deeds and her faith and her deeds and her faith and her deeds, they come so much into this feedback loop, this synergy working together, getting stronger, stronger, more faith, greater deeds, more faith, greater deeds, that before you know it, she's gone past me. And I, this is literally true. I would just be wandering past the steps and then suddenly I'd hear this, trust! And she'd been waiting at the top of the stairs for me, just jumps. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Try to catch her. You know, I'd be outside walking home from work, First floor, windows open, trust! <gasps> she, uh, you know, just got crazy. But um, 
She's left home now. She joined the circus. She became a trapeze artist. <laughs> it's just a joke. Um, trust, faith leads to greater deeds, which leads to greater faith. You want to go in your faith with God. This is how James says it works. Abraham, he had faith. No doubt, no discussion, no debate. He had faith. But there was something about God testing his faith, him taking risks on behalf and motivated by his faith that took his faith to a whole new level. When did he become the father of faith? We don't know exactly, but there was something about that act of total, I'm giving everything. I've had little faith things. I've had little deeds things. I've taken little risks. I've taken little steps. But it gets to a point where God's come through. God's come through. God gave him a baby when he was old and past years. When his wife Sarah could no longer have children. Naturally, God come through. God saved him. God's delivered him. God's provided. He can have faith. He can do greater deeds. And finally, he does the thing where he gives everything to God because he trusts him so much. He passes that one and God takes his faith to a whole brand new level. And that has a very different model to this idea that faith is just this private, mysterious, invisible belief. No, what it is, it's this dynamic, fruitful, vibrant, trusting relationship that grows with my Father, God. And then James says, just in case you were thinking that it's only for the great heroes, the patriarch, he says this, in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? Everyone say what she did. When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So this woman, Rahab, she's called the prostitute, which is kind of harsh, but it's what she was, you know. And yet the Bible says, it's great to be reminded of your past because it shows that God is no respecter of persons. Rahab was, um, she was a Canaanite woman living in Jericho when the people of Israel come to conquer that city of Jericho. Some spies go into Jericho. They go into uh, Rahab's inn, where she's got her girls working, and she gives them shelter, and she says to them, I believe in the God that you serve. And they say, look, guys are looking for us. Your people, your city folk are looking for us. They will put us to death. Rahab says, I believe in your God, and as a result of my faith in your God, I'm going to hide you at risk to my own life. And that becomes another example of faith. And that is when God says, this is a person that lives the way that I want them to live. She literally becomes the great, great grandmother of King David. She's an ancestor of Jesus himself. And James is saying, you don't have to be the patriarch. You don't have to be Abraham himself. You can be someone who doesn't even understand the basics. Someone who is a pagan like Rahab was. Someone who's brand new to faith. Some of you, you're here. You've only just started to find faith in Jesus. You're on your very first days and weeks and months of your Christian journey, but you need to know that for you as well as for any one of the rest of us, by what you do, you can grow in your faith. And so this is the conclusion that James gives. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Read that with me. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, who knows what's wrong with that sentence? Anyone spot it? Let me tell you, it's the wrong way around. You tend to think, okay, so body with spirit, 
faith with deeds. Surely faith is like the spirit thing. You think the body with the spirit. Spirit, the, um, the word in the New Testament, it's pneuma. It means breath, wind, spirit. It's the, the breath of a person, the living part of a person. You'd, you'd think that faith would be the breathy bit, you know, the, the, the mysterious bit. And, and that deeds would be the physical bit, the body. But no, he says, faith is the body. Faith is the thing that is solid and strong and powerful and easy to see. And deeds is the breath that comes in and out of it. Your works, your actions, they're the breathing in and the breathing out of the Christian life. And so if we bring our faith little picture back up, we see that faith isn't about personal invisible belief. But rather, faith is just about deeds, deeds, and deeds. These other things don't make any difference. It's all about deeds. And faith is the body and deeds is the breath. And so this is where we come to. You need to ask yourself a question. What kind of faith do I have and what am I doing with it? This is a question for you to ask yourself. What kind of faith do you have? What are you doing with it? For some of you, you have a two-step faith. For some of you, your faith has never gone beyond something which is personal, private, invisible, unseen, set of beliefs. Now, it's not a bad place to start. It's not a bad place to start. But James says this kind of faith, it's like a dead body. There's so much more to your relationship with God than just believing a bunch of stuff. The demons believe that stuff. God wants to invite you into a dynamic delightful, exciting, challenging, risky, skin of your teeth, heart palpitating, faith, where you're doing it with him and you're experiencing the thrill of him doing things in your life as you take a step, as you move out. I don't know if, uh, like me, you ever get into times when you just feel like there's a song and you can't get rid of it. And, and every now and again, I get into one of these phases, and I've got a song that's been in my brain for the last couple of days, and it's by The Killers. I don't particularly, you know, I'm not a huge fan of The Killers, but there's one song that they did when they say, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. You know the one? Yeah, these things that I do, they played it at Glastonbury, and it goes, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. And that chorus, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. I used to think that this is a song about pacifism. You know, that I'm a good person, I've got soul, but I'm not going to get into fighting people. Actually, when I looked at the lyrics, I found that this is a song which is a profound cry of help. Someone saying these things that I've done talks about the sins that they have committed and, and says, I need you to help me. Don't give up on me. Don't put me on the back burner. And um, all of those things. It's a person who has had trouble relating to others and doing the right thing. It's a song of regret and it's a song of just reaching out and saying, can you help me with this? But I realize I don't match up. When he says, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. He's saying, I've got emotion, I've got spirit, I've got sensitivity, I've got an artistic temperament, I've got an appreciation for music, but I don't have it in me to fight for something that is a bit difficult. When relationships get difficult, I don't have that soldier spirit that puts things right, that does the right thing, that has bravery. And I think for so many of us as Christians, that could be the song that we sing. You know, get Kate here, Matt here, get the guitars out. And we'd all sing, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. Because 
For many people, the Christian life is all about, oh, I've got some soul. It's a personal, individual, invisible belief. But it doesn't affect my life. It doesn't affect the world. It doesn't affect the poor. If we were to do it in James's language, uh, we'd say, I've got faith, but I'm not a fighter. I've got faith, but I'm... You know this song, don't you? You're all looking at me. <sighs> Young people are today. But uh, yeah, I've got faith, but I'm not a fighter. I've got ham, but I'm not a hamster, whatever. But it's this... This idea that you've got faith, but you're not fighting. And James says, you talk like that, it's ridiculous. What are you doing with your faith? Where is your faith at? What kind of faith do you have? And what are you doing with it? Because if you're not doing anything with it, it's dead. It's useless. It's not a living body. It's just a slab of meat that is no good to anybody. You've got the same level of faith as even the demons. Here as a church community, you know we've talked about find, love, follow and serve. Our whole thing is to help people find Jesus and then get faith in Jesus and do something with that faith. We want to build people into loving communities. So if you're here and you've got faith, but you're not a fighter, you need to go and say, right, let me be part of one of these communities. Get into a hub, a hub where your faith is no longer just personal, but it's affecting other people. You're doing life with one another. You're being loved and you are loving. You're gathering in community. You're paying the price to turn up week after week after week in order to build in community with others because that's what faith looks like. It looks like coming alongside one another, doing life as a team. We follow Jesus together. And if you're not being mentored and you want to be mentored, a mentor is going to say, how are you following? How are you putting your faith into practice? How are you at work? How are you with your relationships? How is your faith affecting those around you? Do people look at you and see your faith and say, yeah, I can definitely see you have faith in Jesus. And then finally, serve. We want to serve the poor. We want to serve the homeless. We want to serve the marginalized and we want to mobilize as a church increasingly so that in our city we are taking steps to be significant and powerful and relevant in the lives of those who are most forgotten, most broken, most in need. That's the kind of faith that we want to have. In a moment we're going to worship. And in a moment we're going to pray. But this is one of those messages which is it's hard because unlike last week where there's lots of practical application, this one is more challenge. This one is more hard hitting. This is the kind of thing that you need to take a little bit of time out and think through. But ask yourself the question, what kind of faith do I have? Do I want to move from two-step faith? Do I want to move into a faith which is totally trusting of God? And that's really what the book of James is all about. He says your faith should affect your language. Your faith should affect your relationships. And next week, we're going to look at how to be better at conflict, how to get over things when you are falling out with one another. Faith should have an impact on that. It should affect your deeds. And that's how we become perfect and mature. So this is our big idea. Faith that is just personal, invisible belief is worse than useless. Real living faith grows and becomes complete as it works together with practical deeds. Let's pray.
Just take a moment and ask yourself that question. What kind of faith do I have? And what am I doing with it? Super easy to just believe a bunch of things and have a personal, private experience. But God wants us to be more than that. He wants us to become whole and complete. He wants us to be like Jesus. He doesn't want us to sing, I've got Christ, but I'm not a Christian. Because actually we are like Jesus. I'm just going to pray a prayer for those of us here this evening that feel, ah, oh, I resonate with, with this stuff. I could really do with God's grace because I look at my life and I look at my faith and it's not where I want it to be. And if that's you, I want you to just uh, raise your hands. You don't have to stand up or anything, but just put your hands up. And I'm going to pray that God will give us greater faith, more of his spirit, make us more like Jesus. Give us a bit of a vision of what he wants to do in our life. So if you want to be included in this prayer, just raise your hands either in your lap or however you want to do this. But Father, I pray right now that you'd come by your spirit, that you would give us more faith. Allow us to take steps and risk with you. Let us be people that don't just say we believe, but do the word. Not just hear it, but put it into practice. Father, I pray that we would be an individual, that we would be a community of individuals who do great things for the gospel, who change the lives of those around us. I pray, Lord God, that we would be the people, that people look at us and they say, I can see your faith. It's real. I can see it. It's active. Lord, would you do that in our lives? Let us be like Rahab. Let us be like Abraham. People who risk everything for you and grow close to you and, and know you more as a result. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.